You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Take a minute and uh, try to remember the last time you made a plan that subsequently blew up in your face. I was thinking about this this week some as I was prepping for this sermon, and I was reminded of an experience some of us had together a few years ago. You might have thought of it already yourself. In 2019, a group of us were trying to get back from Guatemala, and we made it from Guatemala to Dallas, and that's where everything blew up, not once, but several times. And Flip, I think, thought I was going to blow up in relation to the American Airlines folks. Uh, we ended up getting home a couple, a day or so later. Uh, we ended up driving, not flying, as some of you remember, and uh, we have an adventure and a story to tell, but we had a plan, we had an itinerary, and the weather and the airlines blew it up. The Lord was good, though, and we found our way back. We make plans, don't we? We make lots of plans, and our plans don't always go the way we intend them. And when that happens, there's all kinds of emotions involved, aren't they? Like, because we have this, we've put the energy into it, and we've made, we've done the logistics work, and we, we've, we've, we've prepped, and then when, when something happens that we didn't anticipate, or something happens that we didn't expect, comes in, and we're like, no, 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 I, I, I had a plan. And this contingency wasn't a part of the plan. And sometimes the issue is bigger than others, sometimes it's an inconvenient drive from Texas to Alabama, but sometimes it's a matter of your health or your well-being, an unexpected diagnosis, a business plan that goes sideways. And so we're familiar with these kinds of emotions and frustrations and even fears, right? When we make plans that blow up. Well, if you can kind of take a moment to remember what that feels like, you might have a sense of what James and the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem and perhaps Paul felt like too. Because James had a plan. Paul had kind of made a mess of things, or at least inadvertently made a mess of things. His mission to the Gentiles resulted in all sorts of rumors being spread about him. All over the Mediterranean, the Jewish populations are saying, this guy is denigrating our traditions. He's saying that you shouldn't be circumcised and you shouldn't follow the law and forget about Moses and Torah. And so Paul comes back to Jerusalem and James and the other Apostles have got, you know, they've got a problem to deal with, and they come up with a plan. They say, here's a plan, Paul. We want you to go through this rite of purification. We want you to put up some cash, pay for these other guys. But when you do it, and this is the passage just before the one we read together, Acts 21, 24, join these men, James says, and go through the rite of purification with them 
Pay for the shaving of their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they've been told about you. So James is saying, like, like, we know you, Paul. We trust you. But there are mobs of people who don't know you and don't trust you, and they've heard bad things about you, and so here's a plan. And then if you do the plan, they'll all know what we know. They'll all know. So James has this plan, and they execute the plan. We're told in verse 27, where we began reading today, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia who had seen Paul in the temple stirred up the whole crowd, and the plan blew up. Apparently, James's anticipation that everyone would know Paul was a legitimate Jewish person and a devout Jewish uh, believer Apparently that plan wasn't going to work after all. That plan blew up. And the thing that kind of comes to the surface here, and the thing that maybe James is going to have to learn, we don't hear much more about him, but we could intuit a bit, the thing that Paul, I think, already understands, because he doesn't seem particularly phased, does he? He's ready to bear witness and make his defense, and, and he's got a pretty focused attitude in the midst of the blowing up plan. The thing that comes up again and again here is that blown plans don't stop God's work. Now that might not be our initial posture when the plan blows up. When the airline cancels the flight and sends half your youth group to a different city. When you get that diagnosis, or when that person in your family does that thing that you <laughs> really didn't want them to do. Didn't fit the plan. Our first instance, our first reaction isn't typically to stop and ask, like, where's God at work in this? We tend to kind of blow up with the plan. Like, at least some of us do. <laughs> this wasn't in the plan. I don't know what to do. What are we going to do? But the thing that Luke wants us to see is that in the midst of all this, plan going crazy, nothing working, mobs, riots, floggings, imprisonments, all that, like, that's a plan that blew up, isn't it? God's at work. The whole way through. When our plans blow up, it doesn't mean that God is all of a sudden incapable. It doesn't mean that he's caught by surprise. It doesn't mean that he didn't see it coming. It doesn't mean that his purposes will not continue. It doesn't mean that we go back to the drawing board. So as we read through this text together, we'll kind of look at Paul's posture and what he focuses on. And I think Paul's focus can help us orient our focus when we're in a place where the plans don't go the way we expect them to go. Now, the plan goes south in verse 27. Paul is seized, like physically seized. They take hold of him and they drag him out in the streets. They're shouting, fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our, against our people. These are those false charges, those false accusations that... That, that, that were being spread about Paul. There's several of them. He's teaching everyone everywhere against our people, against our law, against this place. They're in the temple. Remember that. 
More to that, he's actually brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, Luke explains this a little bit for us. Remember, Luke is the one writing this. He says that Paul had been seen in the city with this guy from Ephesus named Trophimus, right? And Trophimus never went into the temple because they were part of the temple precincts that you had to be Jewish to get into. And if you went in there as a Gentile, they, they might actually kill you. But hey, you know, we saw Paul in one neighborhood with that guy. He might as well have been in the temple with him. You can get a sense for how like the charges are crazy trumped up here, aren't they? This is just this over-the-top false accusation. Everyone everywhere. He's, he's denigrating our law and all these things. And they don't have a, they have no interest in asking him, hey, Paul, you know, we heard you said some stuff over in Corinth that didn't really vibe with what we think. Like, like, help us understand that. Like, how, how much better would things have gone if someone had just said, you know, hey, Paul, could we talk about what we've heard? But no, they don't start with talking about what they've heard. They grab the guy, drag him out in the streets, and start beating him up. That's a great way to solve a problem, isn't it? <laughs> Sarcasm alert. <laughs> no, <Nobody. laughs> So the city goes in this uproar. And... The Romans hear about it, as they do, uh, because you've got Jerusalem under Roman occupation, and you've got soldiers all over the place. And it's their job to make sure that revolutions don't happen. And it's their job to make sure that mobs don't riot and create problems for the empire. And this tribune is already on edge, because he's looking for a particular guy, an Egyptian, who led a revolt and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness. This shows up down in verse 38. They get Paul mixed up. Apparently this had happened recently. There had been some Egyptian fellow who led a revolt. And as soon as the soldiers hear that there's a riot in town, they think, ah, that guy must be back. So they go off after him and they take him into custody. Now, it's helpful to know that in the ancient world, imprisonment didn't, doesn't work exactly the same way that it works in the modern world. You'll notice uh, they, they don't start an investigation and then go get a warrant and then maybe uh, try to figure out what's going on here. No, they start with just chaining Paul up with a couple of chains. Right? So forget any sort of due process. In the ancient world, Imprisonment wasn't so much a punishment, it was more where you hang out while we figure out what you did. <laughs> and it was the assumption that you were guilty of something, because after all, if an entire city's in an uproar trying to beat you up, you probably did something bad. And so the tribune comes out and uh, just takes Paul into custody and hauls him off into the barracks. You may have noticed later, too, I don't know if this struck you as a bit peculiar at the end of the passage, but again, it kind of sheds light on some of the differences between our world and the ancient world. Um, flogging here wasn't a punishment for Paul. It was an instrument for investigation. Did you catch that? Here's what he said. Again, this is, this is, again, this is the Roman posture. This is how they're at it. After Paul makes his speech, and they're like, yeah, get rid of this guy. We don't like him. The tribune, the, the chief soldier, the lead guy here, says, take him to the barracks and order him to be examined. I'm stuck in my glasses. Order him to be examined by flogging. Like, don't just ask him, hey, who are you and what have you done? Beat him up real good and see what he says. Right? 
So again, just you get a sense where this, this, this is like a very different world. There's no presumed innocence. There's no, you know, due process. The Romans roll in and they knock people around until they figure out what they think they need to figure out. And so Paul, before he gets hauled off to the barracks, asked to make a speech. When he asked the tribune if he can make the speech, he asked in Greek, because that's the language the guy's going to understand. And that's the moment that this guy realizes he has the wrong guy. This isn't the Egyptian revolutionary I thought I was looking for. This is some other guy. Who is he? And so he decides to let it play. Paul tells him he's a Jew from an important city. And then he's allowed to make his speech. Again, James had a plan. None of this was in it. All the way through, the plan has gone sideways. Plan is blown. Forget the plan way back in the last chapter. The question is, and this is the, the key thing, when the plan blows up, where does Paul focus? When the plan blows up, where does Paul put his focus? Where does he put his energy? And this speech that he gives, Luke is recording a speech that Paul gives in his own defense, tells us a lot about his posture in light of the plan having blown up. First thing he does, he focuses on the faithfulness of Jesus. Blown plans don't stop God's work. And if you need a refresher about how God is at work when things seem absolutely disastrous, remember the ways that Christ has been faithful to you. So what does Paul say? He says, I'm from, I'm one of you. I grew up in Tarsus of Cilicia. I came to this city. I came to Jerusalem. I studied with and was mentored by the best. I was zealous for the law. I persecuted the church. And then one day Jesus showed up. Whenever you're in a situation and the plan is blowing up in front of you, it might be worth stepping back just a minute and saying, let me try to remember the last time Jesus showed up. Unexpectedly. And Paul tells the story of his, his conversion, doesn't he? His Damascus Road experience. We've heard this story in Acts before, but it was Luke telling us what happened to Paul. Now you get to hear Paul's first-hand account, his own testimony about how the Lord Jesus Christ blinded him and called him and rescued him and this sense of just stunning, overwhelming grace. right? Because remember, Paul is chaining up Christians. And you get a sense for the way Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? What does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus is in solidarity with his church. That's also helpful to remember when the plan blows up. <laughs> he doesn't abandon his church. And here's Paul 
the persecutor, the recipient of God's grace. I meet a lot of people sometimes who don't feel worthy. Oh, you don't want me in your church. I'm not the kind of person who's supposed to be around there. I've done things. God couldn't forgive me. Too much shame. Too much judgment. Jesus is the faithful one who offers grace upon grace upon grace to the most unworthy. In fact, that's kind of the point, isn't it? It's kind of the point. It's when plans blow up that we are sometimes more able to see that than others, right? Because when everything's going smooth, like when the plan is working, everything's operating, and we're in control, we're good, this is smooth, everything's fine. But when things get rocked, sometimes we're in a position to have an even better perspective and how kind Jesus is and how gracious he is. to one who was entirely unworthy, persecutor of the church. And so, when Paul's and James's plan falls through, we don't see Paul kind of fretting about what to do. We see Paul Go back to the moment that Jesus showed him grace upon grace. God's work in his life. Not just for him, but through him to the nations. So I wonder sometimes... When we're in this situation where things don't go according to plan, <clears throat> if we can develop the discipline to focus on the faithfulness of Jesus, and you see where this lands for Paul. We get this in the testimony with Ananias. Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away. I mean, this is gospel, isn't it? The plan goes south. Paul goes to the Gospel. <clears throat> the one whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so I wonder if when, when plans blow up and things are unsettled and we're anxious, if by the grace of God we're focused in on the faithfulness of Jesus, you think that might change that situation? You think we're going to be more prepared to handle the uncertainty that we encounter in that moment, in that season, if we're focused on 
the faithfulness of Jesus and not on things we can't control. Because that's what happened when, happens when plans blow up, right? Like something happens that we can't control. And then we start trying to control more things because that makes us feel like we've got a handle on it. And, like Paul isn't looking for what he can control and he's not trying to manipulate the situation. He focuses on Jesus. The faithfulness of God in Christ in the gospel. He also focuses on the mission. He tells the story of his conversion, his encounter with Ananias. And then he tells in verse 17 about going to Jerusalem to pray. He says, I fall into a trance. I saw Jesus saying to me, hurry. Get out of Jerusalem quickly. They will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And while the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, I myself was standing by approving and keeping the coats of those who killed him. Then he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. When the plan goes south, Paul turns his attention to God's grace to him in Christ and the calling on his life. Seems to me, most, in most occasions, that's probably not where our habits take us. And I wonder what sort of people we would be and what sort of church it would create if when we found ourselves unsettled or anxious, right? And, the, the, you know, the plan doesn't even have to be a big plan, right? It could be a small plan. It could be a plan other people don't even know about, just a few people. But something doesn't go quite right and there's some anxiety and you don't want to share that anyway, right? Because, who, you know, <clears throat> then people would know your plan didn't work. But even in those small plans, big plans, and every plan in between, when it doesn't go the way we want it to, and before it even gets to that point, can we be the sort of people who are saying, you know, here's what we're trying to do, but if it doesn't go according to plan, we're still going to be the kind of people who are deeply focused on the faithfulness of God in Christ and what He's called us to do. Because blown plans don't stop God's work. And here's the thing. Jesus called Paul to take the gospel to the nations. And that's exactly what he's about to do in chains. The rest of the book of Acts. We've got a few more chapters. We're almost there. Paul's in prison. Or he's in chains. He's going to be shipped to Rome. And Rome is symbolic this is the heart of the nations. This is where the empire reigns. This is where Caesar lives. And for Paul to go to that city and declare the good news of God's perfect love in the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of the mission to the nations. So even though the plan is blown out of the water early on, God is still working His purposes 
sovereignly, lovingly, and wisely in Paul's life. Now, he's been wanting to go to Rome for a while, and he may not have been planning to go in chains. But either way, regardless of his circumstances, he makes it his purpose to preach the gospel to the nations, whether he is free or a captive. And so, when I hear his testimony, honestly, I feel somewhat convicted. Because it's easy for me to slide into that, oh, you know, this, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if that doesn't work out? And here's a guy who's about to get beat with a whip. Didn't do anything. They don't even know what he did or whether he did it. They're still going to beat him up, though, just to find out. He's focused on Jesus. He's focused on his vocation, his calling. And so I wonder, I wonder if we can become the kind of people who ask ourselves this question habitually. Am I available for what God wants to do in this mess? Can I be present for whatever God wants to do in the current mess? Maybe it's a big mess, maybe it's a small mess, maybe it's a mid-sized mess. But whatever the mess, can I be the kind of person who doesn't begin to just live in the anxiety, <clears throat> but live in the confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us? You know, Jesus was the kind of person who was available to God when he walked on this earth. He embodied being available to God regardless of the circumstances. In a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to walk to the tables in the front and take a piece of bread and dip it in a cup of juice and eat it. And when you taste it, you are tasting the availability of Jesus. When it came time for the incarnation for Bethlehem, he didn't say, oh, I got some stuff going on this week. Maybe another time. He didn't say, ah, Crucifixion thing's going to be pretty uncomfortable. Let's figure something else out. He said, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus came into our mess. with self-giving love.
came to us when we had blown the plan really, really badly? Perfect love. Completely available to care for us, and forgive us, and heal us, and restore us, and change us, transform us, so that we can be the kind of people who having experienced His grace, come to embody it. That's one reason we're talking about the ministries of the church today. Because different ministries are the ways that, that we receive grace, aren't they? Whether it's the music on Sunday morning, or a discipleship group, a band group on Tuesday afternoon. Whether it's a Sunday school class prayer chain. Or a youth outing. All of these are ways that, that Jesus works in us and cares for us. And He does it not so that we can just spend the next 40, 50 years or however long we're around receiving. He's going to keep caring for us. We're going to continue to receive. We come to this table regularly, don't we, to receive His grace because we need constant, we need to receive what He has to offer all the time. But He gives it so that we can also extend it. Which is why we talk about church life in terms of a pathway. A discipleship path. Three steps. Worship, connect, serve. We worship the Lord to express our love in community. We connect with others to go deeper so that because we need people looking after our souls, don't we? But it doesn't stop there, does it? We get the opportunity to embody the character that Jesus shows us. By serving one another, serving our neighbor, neighbors, and serving the nation. And that doesn't change regardless of whether the plans we make go well or whether they go sideways. That process, that pathway, that plan of God's to reproduce His life in His people is consistent regardless of whatever plans we make around the edges. So in a moment when you come, Remember that Jesus has made himself available to you. My question is, are you going to be available to him? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.